Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. So very glad to have you with us. I think I have a legitimate beef. I think I am being gender stereotyped. Here, here's the deal. If you were listening to the program on Wednesday, you, I, I, I told the story about how I stupidly fell. I was coming down our, our stairs at the house. My office is upstairs. I was coming downstairs. I got to the last step, and the last step is the one that's not carpeted. I think that's what caused it, but I took a bad step. I, I fell kind of butt over tea kettle and went down. The, the good news is didn't hurt too much, except I hurt my right foot. I twisted my right foot, and I was talking about this on the air on Wednesday, about how it was getting progressively more more painful, and I was kind of limping around and got home at night, and my right foot is about twice the size of, of my left foot. And so I, it was just really very, very painful and kind of difficult to move on. So that's where I was yesterday. Went into the doctor, had it looked at, and they did the x-rays. And the, the good news is it's, it's not broken, but it's sprained pretty badly, which I'm hobbling around on crutches. And, you know, they said, okay, well, it's all you got to do is, you know, keep it elevated and rest and let it heal, and it'll it'll take a couple weeks, and but it, it's going to be painful for the the time being. So for the first time in my life, I'm I'm hobbling around on, on these crutches. Now I am lucky, because my beautiful and lovely wife Fran is taking care of me, but she has decided that men do not make good patients. She said guys just guys just don't go along with the protocol because. I've been resisting, okay, putting the ice pack on every 20 minutes or doing this or doing that or, or whatever. She's going, you really should do this. You should do that. And my daughter, who's a nurse, says that you should do that and all these different things. So she, she went out and she was running some errands. And, look, I, I really appreciate it because she's taking, she's taking all the dog responsibility. So she's looking out for the dog. She's taking care of me, doing a great job. But she tells me I'm getting a little bit surly, you know, with how I am dealing with this. So she came back from the store. And she was saying, yeah, I talked to all these people, and people were asking how you were, and I said that you'd sprained your foot and all these type of things. And she said, I just kept telling people, you're not a very good patient. And all these women she was talking to were saying, men are not good patients. It's just men men typically tend to be bad patients. I, I, don't, I don't know exactly what the theory is, but I, I know at least women seem to think that us guys just – whether we don't handle pain very well, and there could be an element of that, or whether we don't like to be kind of doted on or, or whatever, or whether we have our own ideas as to how to do things, even if it's not necessarily the smartest idea. It's just, you know, men, you know, men, men just, they, they just don't go with the, the program. Here's a text, Jeff. I'm a nurse, and my wife just had major spine surgery. I have repeated, I have to tell her repeatedly to stop twisting and bending her back, and I have to call to tell her instead of more pain medication, you have to use ice packs. So women aren't any better. <laughs> it's, I, I, I don't know. I'm trying to, I understand that it's all kind of well-intentioned and things like that, but it's sort of like, okay, I'm just, just kind of let me get through this. But it is sort of freaky to look at your your feet and notice that your right one is twice the size of of your left one hopefully that will not be the case moving forward okay little bit of free political advice from a recovering politician now normally we give free legal advice from a recovering lawyer this is free free political advice from a recovering politician there is a huge issue in this state 
in this area and in this country with regard to how people can get the COVID vaccinations. We all agree that the way out of the pandemic is by getting vaccinated. The problem is there's nowhere near enough vaccinations to go around, right? So we, we all understand that, that scenario. So we, we've had to, so far, pick winners and losers, and we've talked about that on the program before. I think everybody agrees that the first batch of, of vaccines should go to people who are in nursing homes, should go to frontline health care workers, should go to maybe the EMTs and the police officers, but the people that are dealing with that. Then after that, there are disagreements. I, I'm an advocate for saying it should be based on age simply because if we're all about flattening the curve, trying to keep people out of hospitals and out of morgues, the, the odds of having a bad result if you get COVID and you're 60 are a lot greater than if you get COVID and you're, say, 20 or, or 30. And, and that's why I've argued it should be based on, on age. Other people disagree. Other people, and there's different theories here. We, we, need, to, we need to give it to, you know, the, the more essential workers. So if you're a 32-year-old teacher, you should get it. If you're a 32-year-old guy working in the IT department from home at the hospital, you, you should get it. And, and we, we have disagreements about that. Reasonable people, I think, can disagree, although I stick with my theory that it should be based on, on, on age. Well, regardless of how you look at it, this story is just mind-blowing, and it's, it was broken by Dan Bice from the Journal Sentinel. 33-year-old Milwaukee Bucks exec Alex Lazary gets COVID-19 vaccine, says he was lucky to jump the line. Now, um, Alex Lazary is, of course, the, the son of the, the billionaire financier who owns Mark Lazary, who was one of the co-owners of the Bucks. Alex Lazary, 33 years old, he's uh, been mentioned. I think he's he's very politically active, very liberal. He's apparently been flirting with the idea of running for U.S. Senate two years from now. And again, you, you might say, okay, th- he really doesn't have that many credentials to do this. But on the other hand, I mean, it, it's Chris Abley. You, you saw how well that worked out. You know, Herb Cole was a longtime businessman, but you know, he millionaire owner of the Bucks. It. it Herb Cole didn't do badly. So, I mean, I, I guess stranger things have happened in Wisconsin than somebody like Alex Lazary getting elected. But, but here's the interesting story. Alex Lazary has had the COVID-19 vaccine. Now, he's by no stretch of the imagination would this guy qualify as an emergency worker, a frontline worker, or, or anything. He's just, but he's had it. Apparently, the story is his wife's uncle, um, is the rabbi at Ovation Chai Point Senior Living on Milwaukee's east side. So they get some to give to the, the elderly residents. And apparently they've got a couple doses left over. So the uncle calls Lazary and his wife and says, Hey, I've got, we've got a, a couple extra doses. Do you want to come over and, and get it? And his wife is pregnant, so she passes. Well, he runs over and gets the vaccine. You know, he, he, he says, um, you know, it, it just, it just, I, I didn't really jump. I was just lucky to jump in, in the line. You know, I just, I just took advantage when I got th- this call. And I guess I, I listened to this, and here's my, my free political advice from, again, a recovering politician. If, 
if you want to be elected, now I understand there's being the son of a billionaire has many, many advantages. You know, you've got an unlimited supply of money and resources that you can tap into. But there is no way in God's green earth that a guy who is in good health, who's 33 years old, should be getting that vaccine ahead of, I don't know, people who are 65 or ahead of teachers or ahead of anybody else. And I guess this is one of those things where you get that call and it says, hey, you know, you, you can you can come over here and we've got a couple of these doses left and, you know, we're, we're, we're giving them to friends because we don't want them to go bad. Well, okay, that might be one of those moments where you just say, you know, I tell you what, I, I don't know who you can find to give them to, but anybody is more worthy of than, than me. Now, I was down in Florida not that long ago, and they, they were talking about how they, they call it, you know, vaccine tourism. People were coming down to Florida. They were getting they were getting the shots, and I was sitting there saying, you know, even if even if it were available to me, there, there's no way that even at my age I'm going to jump in front of all these other people who are waiting weeks and months and trying to figure out how to get their shots. It's just. If nothing else, the optics are bad, especially if you decide that you want to be a United States senator. <laughs> I mean, that's that that's exactly it. I mean, you, you get this call. If somebody were to have, were, were to call me and say, Jeff, it's not your turn, but you know what? We we we've got a line on a couple of these things, and if you want to come over, if you can come over the next couple hours, I can get you one of the vaccines. I I, I would have I would have said no. I said, no, I did. Look, it's not my turn. I will wait to get the vaccine. And I'm a lot older than 33. And again, from just maybe it's the entitlement thing. Is it the biggest story? No. But when you think about the optics and you think about all the people that are out there who are desperately trying to get the vaccine, all the people who are in their 70s and 80s and not in assisted living facilities who haven't figured out how to do it and who are getting the notices from their health provider saying, hey, sorry, you know, we we know you're in a high risk group, but we're out of this. Uh, The idea that, I don't know, you skip in line because you're lucky and you get it. If even if you're able to do it, as I frequently say, even if you have a right to do it, it doesn't make it the right thing to do. And if I was thinking about running for U.S. Senate, which I'm not, I don't think I'd be cutting in line to get a COVID vaccination. Just saying. When we come back, let's talk about giving away money, your money, my money, all people's money. Stick around. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Jeff, I disagree with your criticism. Each vaccinated person shrinks the time our country will be COVID-free. A famous person can encourage fans to get vaccinated. You're no hero for saying no. No, what you want to do is instead of pushing to the line when you're 30-some years old, and what you want to do is you want to say, no, let's give it to somebody who really needs it. That's that's the whole idea, right, because that's the whole point. We all want to get vaccinated. Everybody should get vaccinated. There's no question about it. But jumping in line and pushing ahead of millions of people who, if they get sick, are going to likely, at least if you look at the statistics, have a lot worse results, that's that's where you just say no. You say, no, look, even if it's there, give it to somebody else. I'm sure that you can find lots of people who are much more deserving. Matter of fact, if you want to read more about this story, I sent out a tweet on it. I think it number one, you can follow me. At, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. It's one of those rare things where, it, first of all, it's really bad optics if you want to be a politician. Secondly, it's just flat out not the right thing to do. Okay. Joe Biden. 
as part of his COVID relief package, wants to send all Americans who have previously gotten the stimulus payments an extra 1400 bucks. The, the idea, if you remember when this was floated around, is, okay, people got $1,200 before. They need more money, so let's, the plan was let's give them $2,000. The Congress settled on giving everybody 600 bucks, everybody that would qualify. Biden wants to give people an extra $1,400. I think that is a really bad idea, and I don't understand why the people on the left, the so-called progressives, are in such a hurry to give money to wealthy people. Because here's the deal. If you look at the requirements that they have right now, you know, it, it's not just poor people who, who get the money. It's not just people who have lost their jobs or been impacted by COVID. It, it's anybody based just on your adjusted gross income. So any individual making $99,000 or less or a two-adult household with an income of less than 150000 is eligible for the full amount. Now, now let's, let's think about that. You know, and, and that's just your adjusted gross income. That's just the money that is being reported on somebody's tax returns. You could have someone who has millions of dollars, for example, in assets, retirement assets or, or whatever, who... I don't know, last year made $130,000 a year, and they're still getting the full boat. My point is, if you want to send stimulus money to people, and you think that the $600 isn't enough, I'm willing to have that conversation. But don't you have to ratchet down the income levels? I mean, seriously, I, I know people. I have several friends who are, I think most people would describe as being very well off, very well off. But because it's it's based on adjustable gross income, maybe they're retired, maybe they didn't tap into their retirement accounts or whatever last year, they're, they're getting these checks. And it's almost like a joke because, again, if the purpose is COVID relief, to send it to people who haven't lost their jobs, have a bundle of money, and make $145,000 a year for a family of two, that, that's crazy. If you want to do this, all right, I can understand having this conversation, but don't you have to ratchet down the numbers? And don't, don't you have to say, well, okay, let's try to figure out people who've, who've really been hurt. Um, you know, maybe, maybe people who's, you know, who lost their jobs. Maybe people, you know, who have household incomes of less than $50,000 or less than 75000 but to send this money to people who are making $150,000 and might have millions of dollars in retirement accounts, that's all that is is a lifeline for the rich. I would even be willing to have a conversation where we say, you know what, maybe what we should do is we should even look at sending more than an extra $1,400 to some people because maybe these are people that really need it and you give them you give them another $2000 and maybe that's that lets them pay their rent for a couple months or or kind of catch up or something like that i'm willing to have that conversation but just to blindly send out another $1400 to a lot of people who candidly don't need the money and haven't been negatively impacted it is huge and to understand the difference here, just I mean, I understand sometimes when we talk about these dollar amounts, it, it just ends up getting lost. 
But the, the $600 checks that they sent out, that cost taxpayers about $166 billion to follow up and send everybody who got the 600 bucks another $1,400 would bring the total up to $600 billion. $600 billion. And, and candidly, I, I, I mean, I can think of all sorts of better ways to spend that money. Maybe, again, enabling tenants to pay their rent, maybe financing COVID-19 treatment, but sending money to people who don't need it I think is silly. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss in a moment. This is Jeff Wagner on WGMJ. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And please understand me. I'm not against additional stimulus payments, but I am against stimulus payments going to people who haven't been impacted by COVID, who haven't had any financial impact of that, who haven't lost their jobs, and who make a ton of money or have a ton of money. Let's start with Nicole in West Dallas. Nicole, you're on WTMJ. Hi, how are you? Real well, thank you. What do you think? So I, um, I not to get all in my business, but um, I only make about $32,000 a year. Um, the first two stimulus um, payments I received helped a lot. Didn't help enough, but it did help a lot. Um, but I also have a, a, seven, a then 17 and a now 18-year-old whom I didn't get any stimulus money for. I don't exactly sure know why that happened. Mm-hmm. Um, but another another fourteen hundred dollars right now would be mm-hmm. really helpful, really helpful for well, somebody like it, me. And I and I well, do have he, to agree with. Yeah, that would Nicole. I I think based on you know without again going too much in too detail into your personal finances, I I think. You, know, you sound like somebody, maybe if the idea was give Nicole 2000 bucks because you know, she's really been hit hard by this and she can really use that money, I, I might, I, you know, I, I'm probably ready to sign on to that. It's just why give Nicole 1400 bucks and at the same time turn around and give, again, somebody that's sitting on a couple million dollars in retirement assets, uh, what, give, give them, you know, 1400 bucks as well who hasn't lost their job. That's what I think is the unfairness of all this. I can Completely and wholeheartedly agree with you on that. <laughs> yeah, okay. definitely. Right. right. Thanks for the call. So, I mean, I just want to be clear here. And that, but it, and this has been my beef all along that we take this scattergun approach to this thing. It's like, okay, we, we want to get money in people's hands. All right. I, I understand that. But th- that was the first stimulus. We've now had seven, eight, nine, ten months to figure this out. And it, it is. It's kind of a standing joke. Because, like I say, I know people who, I know several people who got stimulus payments and they are. By any stretch of the imagination, they are well off because it was based solely on adjusted gross income, a number on on a one line of a tax return. Um, it doesn't affect how much they made, how much they have in assets. It doesn't affect whether they've been impacted by COVID or not. And, and given the fact that we're talking about big-time dollars, I think it's wrong. Okay, we continue the conversation. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. Here, number of texts that prove my point. Jeff, 
I'm worth over a million dollars. I never thought I'd say that, but God bless America. But I don't begin to need any more money, yet the government keeps sending it to me. I purposely spend it on something I wouldn't have otherwise just to contribute to the economy, and I spend domestic. Having said all that, we obviously cannot keep sending everybody cash. It simply cannot continue. Um, Yeah, and I guess that's my point. Jeff, my wife and I are in our 30s. Both are in a plenty of dough where the stimulus is totally unnecessary, yet they dump the money into our account, no questions asked. Talk about a waste of government spending. In our case, we ended up donating most of the money. Um, Yeah, I mean, that's it. Um, Jeff, I believe the liberals are not complaining the government is sending money to people that don't need it because they're the ones that are receiving the money and they'll never turn down money whether you need it or not. Jeff, how do you expect the government to go through every American's asset to see their retirement funds? No, first of all, what I think you need to do, and it's not that hard, is I think you need to lower the income limits. If you're pulling in 150000 bucks a year, for example, you know, family of two, I, I, and you haven't been impacted by COVID, no, I don't think you should get the stimulus thing. I would much rather see it targeted and arguably, like I say, our first caller, Nicole, arguably, you know, people who've really who've lost their jobs, you know, people who are struggling to make their rent, it, it, it's, why, why do you say 1400 Maybe if we're going to do a stimulus thing, give them 2000 But But at the same time, don't just give it to everybody. That's the whole idea. Well, it's just too tough to figure this out. We're just going to send hundreds of billions of dollars to everybody, even if it means a lot of it ends up in the hands of people who can't, who don't need it, which is the key. Um, 855-616-1620. Mark and Jackson. Hi, Mark. 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 Okay, going once, going twice, lost mark. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Jeff, oh, my God, you're disagreeing with Trump. He wanted to send $2,000 to everyone. Yeah, he was wrong. It was just pandering to votes to try to get elected. Yes, that's... That's that's exactly right. He was absolutely wrong. Jeff, why would there be outrage? Socialism, it's socialism. People expect the government to take care of them. Um, that's what people want. They want a socialist country. Jeff, I didn't need the money. I gave it to the Hunger Task Force, which is great. And, and, and that's wonderful. And if people decide they want to make those donations, I, I'm all in favor of it. But at the same time, that money comes from somewhere. It's not like there's this giant money tree that you go out and you just pull 10 and $20 bills off of. The money comes from the federal government borrowing money, which creates a deficit, which means that I have to pay for it, you have to pay for it, your kids, your grandkids all have to pay for that. You just can't keep borrowing. Again, I appreciate that given the fact that what you're looking at is a, a pandemic, and you need to keep the economy going. I, I understand where the stimulus is coming from. I'm just saying you had seven or eight months to try to figure out how you can do this right, but but they didn't. And it's just easier to figure out, well, we're just going to send it to, you know, Anybody. Jeff, as somebody who has had no financial loss through the entire year, I agree with you. But what would be the parameters of somebody qualifying and not qualifying? Well, first of all, I'd lower the income limit dramatically. And and secondly, if you were over that income limit, I would require maybe instead of just sticking it in people's bank accounts, I would require a, a showing of need. Jeff, very frustrating. Get it to the people that need it, period, which is my only point. Gene in East Troy. Gene, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff, but what about the people, the landlords? 
it's not just the people that can't pay their rent. It's the people that have lost their income because people aren't mm-hmm. paying their rent, things like that. Mm-hmm. What about the people that are impacted by doctor bills or they're in a car accident because they're an essential worker and they have to be going to work and they get in a car accident. So now they've got massive uh, health care bills, things like that. There's no real easy way to weed it out without paying hundreds of thousands of dollars to pay people to weed them out. So okay, the difference the difference though between six hundred the difference between six hundred bucks and um, fourteen hundred bucks is about five hundred billion dollars. Now you got to tell me, Gene, that when we're talking about five hundred billion dollars in, in this country, you, you're telling me that you couldn't figure out a, a better, more equitable, equitable way to to give people bene- who need it to give them benefits. I mean, I, I can think of all sorts of ways. Um, you know, maybe again, you you put it into you put it into the people who are in danger of being evicted. You you look at something like that. You put the money towards again expanding the COVID stuff. Maybe you put the money towards you know continuing unemployment insurance or something like that but i guess it, it just bothers me that you know i know people who have millions of dollars in assets and they're just laughing that they're getting the checks they're just shaking their heads no i get it and i can appreciate that perspective wholeheartedly i'm just thinking of those people that fall on those fringes i work in higher education and we've got people that miss out on a federal grant by a dollar because maybe mom or dad worked overtime right. or maybe they worked overtime and, and they miss it by a dollar. So what do you do for those people that are in that fringe area? And I'm just wondering cost-effectively, what is the better way to go, to just pay it out to everybody or to have all of those extra um, programs mm-hmm. where you've got to manage it? I don't know what's yeah. more cost-effective. I'm simply no. saying there's those fringe people right. that there's no cut-and-dried right. easy way. That's all. Uh, Yeah, no, I get it. Thanks for the call. I mean, which might make the argument, justify the argument that that the way to go about it is just not through a shotgun blast of just sending money to people. Maybe, again, it's putting the money into the programs. Maybe, again, it's extending, using the money to extend unemployment benefits for people who've been impacted. Or um, there's all sorts of different ways you you could do it. And, again, I'm not anti-doing it. But this idea, and, again, the the argument you get is, well, I I mean, it's just it's too hard to figure out who needs the money and who doesn't. So we're just going to send it to everybody. Think about that. You know, we, we, we've had eight to ten months to figure out maybe a more equitable way to get money to who needs it and who's actually been impacted by COVID, and, and we've come up with absolutely nothing. Can't we do better? Can't we do better? Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So, very glad to have you with us. Well, this will teach him a lesson. You remember after the, the, the Madison riots where you had the statues that were torn down and, and all these different things and people who were attacked? You, you will remember one of the things, the follow-up, involved a guy named Devonir Johnson, 29 years old. And he was arrested June 23rd. And what he did was he, he walked into a couple businesses earlier in the day on Madison's Capitol Square with a megaphone and a baseball bat. 
And remember the story? Um, he threatened to break the windows at one of the restaurants unless the owner sent him money through Venmo. At the other restaurant, he and two others demanded free food and said they would bring hundreds of protesters to burn down the business. And this was apparently not the first time that they that they had done this. Um, again, this, we're going to show up, we're going to extort people in these restaurants. After he was arrested, protesters gathered at the Capitol for a demonstration that turned into a mini-riot. This was the one where Democratic State Senator Tim Carpenter was punched and kicked in the head after he was recording a video of the protests. Protesters also pulled down two statues on the Capitol grounds. Statue of Forward was toppled, and the statue of the Civil War-era abolitionist um, Hans Christian Haig was thrown into Lake Mendona. You, you remember all that. And, and, and this, this riot started all because the police arrested this character for going in and, and trying to, again, <laughs> threatening people and extorting money with a, a baseball bat. Um, so they, they end up charging him, and the, the matter was, in fact, resolved. Apparently, you know, he, he pled guilty to extortion. Right now, you would think that this would be a big deal. Well, I, I have in my hands the, the press release issued by the U.S. Attorney's Office for the Western District of Wisconsin. And they announced on Wednesday that Devonir Johnson had, in fact, been sentenced by U.S. District Judge William Connolly. Um, he pled guilty to the charge of extortion on November 4th. His sentence, two years probation. Two years probation. In sentencing Johnson, Judge Connolly noted the impact on the victims. In a sentencing memorandum, Johnson admitted that his conduct was intimidating, scary, and was, in fact, wrong. All right? And, of course, it, it led, his arrest then led to all these other bad things that ended up happening out in Madison and all the destruction. All right. His penalty for that? Two years probation. Well, that sure sends a message to other people who are going to be inclined to do this kind of stuff, doesn't it? I mean, really, two years probation, give me a break. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. And this is Jeff Wagner. So very glad to have you with us. This is kind of the calm before the storm. Last week, we lost a legend. Join us this Sunday at 1 o'clock as we remember Henry Hank Aaron in a two-hour special program. Hear from friends and teammates like Mr. Baseball Bob Euchre and Gorman Thomas. Hear archived audio from the 70s, plus a special interview with legendary broadcaster Bob Costas. Join us this Sunday at 1 o'clock as we remember Henry Hank Aaron. Um, Coming up on the program today, well, if one is good, why not two? We're going to talk about the ACLU and how they're upset with the Waukesha Sheriff. It's liberals versus liberals in San Francisco. And are we really ready to do away with the internal combustion engine? Discussing all that, and that's going to come up with the program and some lighter stuff as we move into the 2 o'clock hour as well. One of the least surprising developments since we last spoke, the Packers fired their special teams coordinator and have replaced him with the special teams assistant. guy's name is Maurice Drayton. The Packers have had, for years it seems, like some of the worst special teams in the league. They had a chance to get a quality coach a couple years back and then apparently just kind of cheaped out, didn't want to make a commitment to pay him what he was worth, and so he ended up taking a deal with New Orleans, and they have great special teams and ours are bad. No question in my 
my mind that the special teams coach was going to go. My guess is the defensive coordinator is going to go. And my guess is that Kevin King, the defensive back who, you know, just got torched on multiple occasions last Sunday, he's going to go as well. It's not going to happen, but I continue to make this point because there's a big I told you so out there, and I'm going to say I told you so after all this happens, but I I just want to give you a a heads up on this. The impeachment trial of President Trump is going to proceed on or about February 8th. That's when they're going to start. In order to convict him, which would then open the door for being able to have a second vote about prohibiting him from running for federal office again. In order to do that, you need, first of all, to get the conviction, you need two-thirds of the Senate. You need 67 senators voting in favor of that. There's 50 Democrats, there's 50 Republicans. Now, let's do the math. The 50 Democrats, let's assume they, they vote in lockstep. All right? Pretty safe assumption. That means you have to peel off 17 Republicans. And everybody, from President Biden to Senate leaders on both sides who are doing the math, are saying there's not 17 Republican senators who are going to vote to convict. That, that's just not going to happen. They had a preliminary vote um, a day or two ago on, on again, it was a, a preliminary sort of matter. They got five Republicans. My guess is if I were setting the over-under, I, I would say it would be eight. You know, And that would be the question. Are you going to get eight or are you going to get less than eight or more than eight? My guess is you get less than eight. That's just my guess. But everybody agrees that you're not going to get 17. So the effect of going through this impeachment, which will make some people happy, and will make some people extremely mad. The goal of going through this impeachment, it's, it's a fait accompli. He is not going to be convicted. He's already been removed from office, so there, you can't accomplish that. He, he's gone. And so I understand some people think, well, we want to do this because we, we think it's going to, quote, unquote, send a message. To which my question is, well, what message does it send? He, he's going to end up being acquitted. The thing that I have been arguing for from the beginning is a motion of, of censure which you would at least be able to get bipartisan support on. My guess is you'd have 50 Democrats in the Senate. You'd probably get 20 or 25 Republicans who would peel off, and they would condemn the president's remarks the day before the cap- the day of the Capitol riots and the, the remarks questioning the integrity of the election since November up until the Capitol riots. There's two senators um, who are, are pushing this idea one is a Democrat, Tim Kaine from Virginia, and he says, look, this, this, is, this is silly. What we need to do is we need to have a censure resolution. It'll be bipartisan. We can get behind it. We can put you know, whatever acrimony um, exists from the Trump era, we can start putting it behind us. So Tim Kaine, who's a Democrat, has been pushing for this, and um, there, there's a Republican who's pushing for this as well, um, Olivia Stowe. Snow, and so they're they're pushing for this, but it's not they're not getting any traction because you've got some people on the left that are dug in, and even if they know that he's going to be acquitted, they want to go through the show trial for the politics of it. Then you got some people on the right who are saying, "Well, no, you know, we're going to stand by Trump for whatever." My only point of this is, 
issue a censure resolution, you get it on the record, you would have bipartisan support, and at least there'd be something there as opposed to what's going to happen now where you go through an impeachment and it's going to be an acquittal and all we're going to have is all this angst and all this anger and we're not going to accomplish anything. Censure resolution is what they should have done before the first impeachment. They didn't. Censure resolution is what they should do this time, but they're not doing it. 1259, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. So glad to have you with us. Like I say, the calm before the storm looks like we're in for another round of snow. And here, here as somebody who does not, not like winter at all, I, I will say this. And I, I, we, we've gone through most of January without huge snowfalls. You know, we, we got whumped earlier this week, and it sounds like we're going to get whumped Saturday night into Sunday. But if, if you want the good news, I mean, we're, we're already essentially through January, and February is a short month. So, you know, winter is kind of winding down. In addition, if you look at the 10-day forecast, even though there's snow in the forecast, they're not talking about those bitter cold temperatures. Remember a couple of years back, and it seemed like we'd get monster snowfalls, and then what would happen is you'd have the polar vortex or whatever, and we'd end up in a situation where we'd have at 20 degree below zero temperatures for a few days. None of that really extreme cold. And I understand some people would trade cold for snow, but bottom line of all this is we're, we're, we're getting through it. And if you keep looking at the 10-day forecast, daylight hours keep getting longer. Um, you're going to have daylight saving time kick in in early March. Just just hang in there. We, we will be okay. All right. If one is good, are two better? There's a, a trend that is developing in call, include, called double masking. Now, you will remember at the beginning of the pandemic, the instructions that were coming out were there's no need to wear a mask. It, it doesn't make any difference. And the, the, uh, the medical science evaluated that and determined that they were wrong. And so, the, for example, the CDC changed its guidelines. And since April, you know, they've been telling people that, that people should be masked. And we have been having, for going on a year now, a huge debate about, you know, do masks make any difference? Um, I, and I think a lot of people know folks who wear masks, but they, they got it anyways. My whole attitude on this has been it, it can't hurt. And just like... I think it's a good idea to wear seatbelts and do it automatically. I, I wear masks when I go out in public because it's part of the social contract. As we talked about on Wednesday's program, when I go out, at least the places I go, almost everybody, with the exception of bars and restaurants, um, everybody in the grocery stores, the hardware stores, and things like that, everybody's wearing masks. Now, you know, when, when we took calls um, on Wednesday, people were saying, well, Jeff, that just might be the places you go. You know, you, you go up north, and nobody's in the hardware store, and nobody's in the Costco's, and, and nobody's wearing masks in there. So I, I understand that this is not a universal thing, but I, I think a lot of people are wearing masks. If it's, if it's not 100%, my guess is it would be close to 80%. All right. Well, here's the latest thing. More and more people are now starting to double mask. In other words, they wear one mask, and then they put a second mask on over this. The CDC has not issued official guidelines on double masking yet. However, some of the stories that I'm looking at suggest that two masks are likely more effective than a a single mask. 
the idea being if you put two on, you've got more of a snug fit, so that could perhaps stop you know virus germs from getting in or from getting out. Um, some people are saying, well, what you should really do is you should take one of those nylon masks and you should put it on so it's close, and then what you should do is you should wear a cloth mask over that. Um, and also social distance and do things like that as well. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, like I say, I, I, I accept the idea that wearing a mask cannot hurt. Right? And so that's, that's why I do it. I think it's part of the social contract. My question is, and there's clearly the door is being open for this, because like I say, the, the CDC is looking at it, and they're saying, well, we haven't issued any guidance yet. But I would not be surprised if sometime in the relatively near future, the guidelines come down and suggest that people should wear not just one mask, but should wear two masks. So let's tee this up. The idea of double masking. Do you do it? Would you do it? Do you think this is reasonable, or is this getting into overkill? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. For me, again, if people want to wear two masks, go, go ahead and wear two masks. If you want to wear eight masks, go ahead and wear eight masks. But the idea, I think, you know, we need to concentrate our resources and our efforts on, on getting people to wear one mask. And to start now saying, well, I think you should wear a second one, or I think you should wear, well, I was going to say a third, but they're, they're only arguing two. The, the idea of double masking, I, I guess, I, I don't know, it's sort of like, you know, wearing a belt and then having suspenders. I mean, it's, yes, it's, it is a bit redundant, perhaps. I guess I understand intellectually how if, if one mask is good, two would be better, and maybe four or five would be better than that. I wonder how you breathe through these things, and I wonder how practical it is. And, and candidly, th- this might be a fad, and while some people, again, if you want to do it, go, go ahead and do it. But if the government were to come out and start saying guidance, everybody, we've been telling you wear one mask, but we think you should now wear a second mask, I think that one's going to go over like a lead balloon. 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Are you ready to double mask? We discuss in just a moment. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Well, <clears throat> the latest trend is to not just wear one mask, but to wear two masks. Now, again, if, if you want to go out in public when you're out and about and you want to wear 12 masks, that, that's, your, that, that's, that's your prerogative. But the question becomes, all right, is, is this something that government should push? Should we now start saying, okay, if one mask is good, two masks are, are better, so start wearing both? Or is it like belts and suspenders? Eight, you know, if you've got suspenders, or that would be braces, if you've got braces, um, why, why do you need a belt? 855-616-1620. Let's start with Brian in Wauwatosa. Brian, you're in WTMJ. Hello. Yeah, hello, Jeff. Thank you for taking my call. Um, sure. I, I agree with you on the point that if, if it makes you feel good and and mentally aids you by wearing a second mask, that's fantastic. But, um, you know, even, even if you look at some of the CDC reports that are coming out about masks, and I've also done some research with uh, some independent uh, labs that are doing tests on masks, they're already, you know, they found, you know, N95 is the one that works the best to filter out the size of the virus, uh, the COVID virus. Right. All, these, all these other ones, 
they're there to prevent the large particles. Like when you're speaking and, you know, little little droplets come out of your mouth, they stop those. But the actual virus, they're not stopping any. So, it's, I mean, you basically can compare putting two masks on as, okay, if this one doesn't stop it, that's like having one window open and then you're in your bedroom down the hall with your door open. Whatever comes in that window is going to still go through that door. So if, yeah. <laughs> if you don't have something closed to stop it, one of the two levels, it's not going to prevent anything. So, I mean, yeah. I don't think that that's going to prevent anything uh, with, the, with the virus getting through. I mean, you could have two, three, four, five. It really doesn't matter. If, if one doesn't stop it, the next won't. So Yeah, thank, yeah thanks, Nicole. I guess that, that's kind of the way I, I, I look at this. I mean, if you are... And I'm I'm not an anti-masker. Like I say, I have one. I, I wear. I have one of those N95 masks. I, I I wear that. You know, when when I'm out in, in public and things like that. Um, if if I guess I'm thinking there. If you are so concerned about this virus that you feel that you need to wear multiple masks, and in it is your right to do it. I, that, that tells me that okay, maybe you know, maybe you should be avoiding all sorts of interaction as well. But the, the bottom line of this is, if if this becomes the trend, if now the government starts to say, okay, well, we think you need to wear multiple masks, so we're going to have a multiple mask mandate, I'm, I'm just telling you, people will not end up complying with that. 855-616-1620, Troy in Door County. Troy, you're in WTMJ. Hello. Hey, good afternoon, Jeff. Um, Hi, Troy. I, I think it would be, I think it would be quite the overkill um, it's, it sure is frustrating when we can't get people to agree on wearing one mask consistently, yeah. let alone switch two. Um, I, I would tend to think if people are comfortable, if, you, if, you're, if you're not comfortable and you got to go with the second one, go for it. But let, let's try to push one. Um, I guess uh, that's why I really struggled with what, what was going on down in Madison supposedly yesterday with the, you know, the vote. Right. I was like, why are we? We're so close. I mean, I don't mean that like next week, but we're, I want to say we're kind of over the hump of seeing that we can get to the bottom of this. And now we want to take a step back. I just don't understand that thinking. I really struggle with it, but I'm getting off task here. But I would say one for sure is, is kind of where, where you could see me. Right. So. I, yeah, and I'm with you, Troy. See, that, that's it. I, if we were going to concentrate resources, to, to me it would be, again, it's not just people wearing masks. The thing I see more than people going around unmasked is I see people not wearing masks correctly. You know, the, the, the big thing is the, the, the thing down around your, under your nose. Hey, thanks for the call, Troy. I appreciate it. You know, it, the thing, you know, under your nose, that, that's, which kind of defeats the, the purpose or the people who pull it up and pull it down all the time. That sort of defeats the purpose of the thing as well. I would rather, if we're going to concentrate on getting people to comply with mask wearing, I, I, I'm more, I worry about that. Let's, let's teach people how to wear the things correctly and encourage that as opposed to sitting there saying, okay, well, now now we want you to get a couple masks, and we want you to have the N95 mask, and then we want to put the cloth mask over it. Because even, I think, once you get to that point, even if you have people like me who are like, all right, I, I, I understand. I'm, I'm Again, I'm not sure how much it helps, but I don't think it hurts, so it's it's worth doing no problem no argument but now if you're going to start saying well the recommendation and we want to encourage people to put two on at that point in time i think people say well well, wait a minute whoa let's talk to bob in mcguanago bob you're on wtmj Uh, yes hi jeff how are you hi bob good what do you think um well as i was explaining and i know your previous caller got into this uh there are varying 
degrees of protection with a different mask. Uh, with the N95 being the best, and, of course, a cloth mask not offering lots of protection at all. Um, I would say the recommendation, if anybody did anything or if people really want to wear a cloth mask, you ought to think about putting something else underneath that, such as one of these disposable paper masks or maybe the KN95 mask. But, uh Cloth masks really don't offer a lot of protection to anybody that's wearing a mask mm-hmm. to protect themselves. Um, what do you think about the idea of the, you, you got the N90, yeah, you got the, well, first of all, what do you think about, you got the N95 mask, let's say that, because that's what they're talking about, you wear the N95 mask, then you put the cloth mask over that. Would you be interested in doing something like that? If I wore cloth masks, sure, but. I wear a KN95 mask, which yeah. is about the same as the N95. Right. You can't get the N95s right now. Right. So, um, right. The KN95 is what I wear. I don't wear a cloth mask. Um, yeah, that's, that's what I, I wear, too, Yeah, I'd recommend it if somebody came to me and asked me. I'd say, sure, there's nothing wrong with doing that. Are you going to mandate it? Of course not. As your callers have pointed out, people were struggling just to wear one mask. So getting them to double up like that, I think, probably is not yeah. going to happen. No, I think you're right. Thanks for no. out there. You well, know? I mean, thanks for well. I, well, I, I don't think they know. I mean, thanks for the call, Bob. I mean, I, I think, I, I think that when it comes to some of this stuff, it's it's as much an art as, as a science. I mean, like I say, early on in the pandemic, we were said masks don't matter. Now we we've been told, and I, I hate saying this because I, I understand some people say, "Oh, you're just an anti-masker." Well, okay, so we we've had these mask mandates since what April and even in states where there's been broad compliance you, you've had a, a huge spike in, in COVID-19 which makes me wonder whether or not you know masking is all it's cracked up to be but nevertheless like I say it can't hurt so I, I don't fight this idea it's kind of like okay let's let's keep doing what we've been doing until we can get enough people vaccinated that you get to herd immunity I'm just saying I think when it comes to if, if these guidelines start to change and they say well we've now decided that you know you need to wear two masks I, I just at some point in time it becomes a bridge too far jeff in fox point jeff you're on wtmj good afternoon hey jeff um get well soon um i will be staying with just one mask um for two reasons one is that my a close family member is a nurse practitioner and she said that if it's worn correctly just one is sufficient and then the other reason is that I heard um, that there's a test you can do with one mask where you hold a flashlight up to the mask, and if the light passes through the mask, then this mask is, is not good to use. And I actually did a test with, with the mask that I, that I use, and all of them passed. Yeah. So you, you got, you've, you've got... You've got good masks. Th- yeah, th- thanks for the call. I, I, yeah, again, that, that makes sense to me. I mean, I, I guess I understand. If you've got, if you've got like a, I know you're using a bandana or something, and that, that's playing the role of a mask. It's, I was on a plane a couple of weeks ago, and, you know, they were saying that they, and this was Southwest, that they changed their guidelines, and there were only certain things that were acceptable as masks, and the idea of, like, a scarf that you pulled up, that, that they, they weren't considering that to be a mask anymore. But, yeah, right, I guess, you're right, theoretically, if you've got a cheap mask that doesn't work or 
you're using a scarf or something like that. Well, okay, yeah, in that case, well, maybe instead of wearing the cheap mask or the scarf, what you should do is have a regular mask that does what it's supposed to do. But the idea of double masking, like I say, I just, I don't think we're there. And if the doctors and the CDC want to push that, good luck. But if you think we've got blowback now, wait, wait till that comes out. All right, back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Okay, so you might expect just a ton of texts on that, and I would say 85 to 90 percent of the texts saying, you know, one decent mask, concentrate on that. That that that's fine, and we we don't need the government saying we're 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 two masks. And if you impose a mandate like that, nothing's going to happen. <clears throat> People don't follow it. But I do have a text here, Jeff. Common sense will tell you that two masks are better than one. It's twice as much protection! Exclamation point. Okay, well then why why stop it too? Why not say wear three or four masks? I mean, because if if one is good, two is better. Wouldn't three or four be better? I mean, where 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 do we draw the line? I was talking earlier about belts and suspenders, How, condoms. I mean, why 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 just be satisfied with one condom? Three, you know, you you want to have that double and triple protection. I, I think there needs to be a balancing this there. And like I say, I understand that there's some people for whatever reason they're out there. They're, they're they want to wear two or three masks. That that's fine. Go with God if that's what you want to do. I I don't care. But the idea of telling other people, well, you need to wear two or you need to wear three. That's where I think you got to be really careful because trying to get people to wear one is enough of a struggle. Jeff Wagner on W. TMJ. To me, this story is the cancel culture run amok, but I want your reaction to it. On Tuesday, the school board in San Francisco followed through on something that they've been talking about doing for a few months, and by a vote of six to one, they changed. All right, in San Francisco, there's about 132 schools, um, you know, high schools, grade schools. Middle schools, etc. Last Tuesday, by a vote of six to one, the school board renamed or stripped the names off of one third of those schools. Forty-four different schools have now had their names. They don't have new names for them yet, but what they are named and what they have been named for years and years and years, they will no longer be called by those names. What are some of the names that were taken off? Schools named after George Washington, schools named after Thomas Jefferson, schools named after Francis Scott Key. He was the guy that wrote the Star-Spangled Banner, all because they owned slaves. Abraham Lincoln, no more Lincoln Elementary School, because in 1862 he apparently presided over or authorized the execution of 38 Dakota tribesmen. Diane Feinstein, who is the currently serving as the senator from California, um, she's her name was taken off of school because a stolen Confederate flag outside City Hall was replaced in 1984 when she was the mayor of San Francisco. Other names scheduled for deletion, President Herbert, Herbert Hoover, John Muir, who is the famous naturalist and author, James Russell Lowe, who was an abolitionist poet and editor. Paul Revere, the Revolutionary War figure. Paul Revere's name has been pulled off of schools. And Robert Louis Stevenson, the the author. Um, and there, there's different rationales for all of these people, but you, you, you understand. It's just a complete and total whitewashing of 
history. Now, this is the way the New York Times writes about it. The headline was, it's liberals versus liberals in San Francisco after schools erase contested names. Many incredulous parents mocked the decision on social media, even as the news ricocheted through various websites. Some parents say they were particularly angry that the name changes were announced just as they received an email from the district saying it was unlikely students would return for in-person learning this school year. Dr. Adam Davis, a pediatrician in San Francisco who has a son in kindergarten and a daughter in second grade said he was receiving text messages from friends in Boston ridiculing the changes. I don't know anybody personally who doesn't think it's embarrassing, Dr. Davis said. The renaming, he said, is a caricature of what people think liberals in San Francisco do. Um, on Twitter and Facebook, parents said they were worried about the cost of renaming. Estimates for changing signage, paperwork, and websites for the 44 schools run into the millions of dollars. Okay, our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We talk a lot on this program about the cancel culture and the idea that if you're not woke, what happens is, you know, you, you just, we, we, we cannot have these. It, we can't, how dare you make a child, particularly a child of color, go to Abraham Lincoln Elementary School? Because, yes, even though Abraham Lincoln freed the slaves, don't you know that there were some things he did with Native American people that, you know, might, might in retrospect, might have been a bad idea? Or Robert Louis Stevenson or Francis Scott Key or George Washington, the first president of this country. He, he owned some slaves. So we can't have a Washington high school. Eight five. Five six one six one six twenty, and then of course the question does become: How far do you do you carry this? I mean, the, the capital of the state of Wisconsin is named after Madison, and you know M- Madison, you know, had had issues with slavery as well. Can we not have city names there? All right, let's tee this up: eight five five six one six one six twenty. It's liberals versus liberals in San Francisco. I happen to side to side with the less crazy liberals in this particular case because I have to tell you renaming schools in this fashion to me is absolutely what's the word I'm looking for oh yeah the word is nuts I mean at some point in time don't we need to draw the line and say look we, we, we understand that this is not a perfect country, and we understand that our founding fathers, for example, were not necessarily perfect. Abraham Lincoln wasn't necessarily perfect. But what we're going to do is we're not going to erase their history at a cost of millions and millions of dollars just to satisfy some liberal pipe dream about you know what the world should look like. Will there be a backlash in San Francisco? I don't know. But I guess what scares me is the idea that this is going to spread to other places. You've already seen out in Madison where you have some militant students who are demanding the Abraham Lincoln statue be removed, and nobody's willing to stand up and say this cancel culture is crazy and it's going too far. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss in a moment. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. I was just—I went to Nicolet High School in Glendale, and that, that's named after the French explorer Jean Nicolet, who's become controversial as well. I, I don't know. I'm, should I be embarrassed that I went to Nicolet High School? Because candidly, my guess is Jean Nicolet was well, maybe a lot more controversial than some of these other people: George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, Francis Scott Key. 
Abraham Lincoln, Herbert Hoover, Paul Revere. The list goes on and on. If you're just tuning in, the San Francisco School Board followed through with its threat and voted overwhelmingly Tuesday night to rename a third of the schools in San Francisco to do away with these names because, well, you know, Thomas Jefferson and George Washington and Francis Scott Key, they, they, they all own slaves. And Abraham Lincoln, well, you know, he, he wasn't that great when it came to the Native Americans. We can't honor him. This this cancel culture is just absolutely crazy. And if it was just limited to San Francisco, where it really is a caricature of the out-of-control, whack-job lefties, I'd say fine. But I, I see this spreading. I will not. You're already seeing it. Like I said, in Madison, they're, they're out there already trying to say, okay, well, we need, to, we need to get rid of the Abraham Lincoln statue. We need to get these names off of buildings. Where does it end? Mike in Illinois. Mike, you're first. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. Uh, this subject is so ridiculous, I have trouble even finding the words. Um, they're using 21st century morality on people that lived centuries ago. And those people that they're canceling did a hell of a lot of good. You know, nobody is perfect. I'm sure they're not canceling Martin Luther King, who was a philanderer and cheated on his wife several times. So it, it's very hip- hypocritical. I think it's somewhat anti-white on purpose. Um, and I just think it's outrageous. Well, thanks for the call, Mike. Well, I mean, it, it is it is clearly targeted at the, the the old white guys that are out there that they're responsible for founding this country because they they, they did things that in in retrospect and in hindsight or whatever you know we, we don't like. I mean, I I think everybody understands that slavery is appalling. Okay, there's no question that was one of the things that led to the Civil War and the Emancipation Proclamation. But it's interesting that okay, Abraham Lincoln isn't woke enough because yeah, okay, he he was fine when it comes to freeing the slaves. But, gee, we, we don't like what he did in 1862 with regard to some indigenous peoples. It, it, it's almost like you, you, you can't please anybody. And I guess I wonder about the people that, that obsess about this stuff. Wouldn't you think that you would be more concerned about, gee, we haven't had kids in school for a year, and, and you know they're falling behind and they're failing. Maybe we should spend our time and effort worrying about how we're going to get them up to speed instead of saying, you go to George Washington High School and now you can't anymore. 855-616-1620. Let's go to a couple texts. Jeff, I hope these people realize that they could be subject to many of today's everyday acceptable behaviors in 25 to 50 or 100 years from now. Um, yeah. Jeff, take down the pyramids. Slave labor was used. Um, yes, uh, that, that's exactly uh, the case. Um, Jeff, who controls the past controls the future. Who controls the present controls the past. That's George Orwell. Um, yes. Jeff, you're right. The liberal council culture, culture is a joke. It's not Woke. Jeff, this is happening at high frequency. Jeff, this is happening at a high frequency in D.C., the D.C. area where I live. The school districts in the nearby suburb are very liberal. Robert E. Lee, Thomas Jefferson, etc. Jefferson are commonly used around here and are quickly being replaced with Obama, Lewis, etc. It's a huge expense and an already strained budget. We are looking at history f- uh, from the lens now. History is supposed to be learned from, not erased. At some point in the future, I'm sure the names of today will get scrapped based on this same culture. I think it's a terrible precedent to um, set. Jeff, perhaps Madison will be changed to something more PC. Well, I don't think there's any question. I mean, that. I mean, if you want to take down an Abraham Lincoln statue, why don't you start 
with the, the whole idea of maybe with the whole name of the city. I mean, is is it appalling to expect people to even live and grow up in a city named um, for Madison? Jeff, in the future, what is okay in today's cancel culture might not be okay. We will be doing this same thing 100 years from now. Yep, it, it is. No question about it. Jeff, sometime, probably in our lifetimes, all landmarks will be renamed after their GPS coordinates so as not to offend anybody. I'm driving from 43 North, 89 uh, West as we speak. Well, he's he's kidding, but he's not kidding. Jeff, you cannot start erasing history now. What will they erase in 50 years from now? Um, Americans just cannot live in the present. Moving forward is a wise choice to name schools monuments in favor of a more diverse crowd. Well, okay, that, I look, I, I have nothing against saying, hey, we're going to, Rename this street after uh, a prominent black leader, for example. That, that, that's not it. I'm just saying that the idea of saying, all right, we have to take the name of George Washington or we have to take the name of Thomas Jefferson off these streets or off these buildings are, are crazy. Lamar in Orlando. Lamar, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Um, sure. So I, I think, just to be clear, I think that this is going too far, but... I do think that there there are cases to be made for like name changes. For example, um, the Confederates. I, I, I'm not in, you know I'm against Confederate monuments and whatnot because I think that that is appropriate. They fought against this country to keep slavery. The founding fathers, I think, we should keep because they are founding fathers. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and so. But I think this goes too far. But there's there's definitely levels to this. Um, the comparison, yeah, well, I don't though, disagree. That the one made. The, the comparison, that the, though, that the one caller made about King being a Flander, that's a stretch from only humans. Not, again, I don't think that we should we should change the founding fathers because they're our founding fathers. It's a stretch from Confederates. Yeah. Well, and, and I and I agree with you. If we were having the conversation about the, the Robert E. Lee statue or a, a Jefferson Davis statue, that at least I understand Lamar. I mean, I understand the arguments on both sides on that. But the, I mean, we're here. We're talking about Francis Scott Key or Thomas Jefferson or Paul Revere. I, that's, I mean, come on. I mean, really? We you know do, are we not going to teach that anymore? And so I think you're right. I mean, I think there there are especially when you're looking at the Confederacy. I, I think you can make a compelling argument is maybe we shouldn't be honoring those you know those people. If you're going to use the term "those people," we shouldn't be arguing those people. But Abraham Lincoln, right. oh my goodness, that, that, that's where you draw the. Right. No, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. And, and again, it, it's the it's the common sense uh, approach to this. And, and the idea is, where do you draw the line? And see, here's what's so dangerous about the cancel culture: it is once once it gets started, it, it's insidious because now you have all these people, and I describe them as the perpetu- the, the politically correct and the perpetually offended, who are now sitting there with Wikipedia and who are doing the research and are saying, oh, my gosh, uh, Jean Nicolet was, was a fur trader, and, and he, he, was, you know, he was not great to the indigenous people that he came across. So, okay, here, here's the thing. And then you take to the Internet, I'm offended by this. How dare we have a high school named after him or, or James Madison or whoever? And it, does, it doesn't matter. You can always find somebody somewhere who will look at somebody's life, particularly a founding father or something like that, and they'll say, all right, well, this person wasn't perfect, or, or I am appalled that... I am appalled that they did this or that or the other thing. So I don't care about anything else they did. We cannot honor them with public buildings. And, and, and you can see how the members of the cancel culture, they eat their own. I mean, Diane Feinstein, who was the ma- – Diane Feinstein is, 
is is not a conservative. Diane Feinstein is the very liberal former mayor of San Francisco who has been in the U.S. Senate for forever, and and she she gets caught up in the wash for this because they they don't like something she did on one day with regard to a Confederate flag decades ago in San Francisco. So now it's uh, Diane Feinstein. We 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 can't recognize you. We we can't honor you, and and that's I guess the insidious nature of this, that there's going to be something somewhere that somebody somewhere is going to find that they're going to be offended by. And instead of, you know, saying, okay, you're the squeaky wheel, we're just going to let you rattle around until you stop or fall off, we say, no, 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 the squeaky wheels have to get the grease. If there's one person that is offended by this particular name on this particular school, well, all right, we, we have to acknowledge it. Instead of remembering, you know, Wagner's first rule of life, which is life is tough, get a helmet. And I'm telling you something, if you're one of these people walking around offended that you were a graduate of George Washington Middle School or Madison Elementary School or Francis Scott Key High School, if that's something that is giving you pause, well, I'm telling you, you got a lot of problems in this world that are probably bigger than the name of the school. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. And this is Jeff Wagner. This week's sponsor for our Jeff Wagner Home Improvement Showcase is our presenting sponsor, Great Midwest Bank. Great Midwest Bank is your simply local equal housing home renovation lender. Check them out at greatmidwestbank.com. All right. Uh, Yesterday, the state legislature, and this would be the assembly, put the brakes on the proposal to do away with the state mask mandate, not because conservatives in the assembly liked the mask mandate, not because conservatives in the assembly thought that the governor had the authority to keep us in a perpetual state of emergency, but because there were some questions raised, which is if we weren't in a health emergency, would that jeopardize extra federal money that go into like the food stamp programs and something like this because apparently if, if you're the way it works is if there's a state of emergency a health emergency that's there the, the state is eligible for in this case almost 50 million dollars in extra assistance which would go to um, households for food I, I think this was obviously the right decision to make as i've talked about with this whole mass mandate thing it's to me this is an issue of of everybody being right and everybody being wrong. The governor, under the law, does simply, at least in my opinion, does not have the authority to impose a health emergency that lasts forever. He he just doesn't have that authority. I think the statutes are very clear that he can do it for 60 days, and then it's up to the legislature as to whether to continue it or not. So that the governor, who has essentially imposed a mask mandate, regardless of how you feel about the mask mandate, I, I think it's been extra legal. At least that's that's my opinion. And this is the way the legislature has of, of slapping him down and saying, look, it doesn't matter whether it's Tony Evers or Scott Walker or Jim Doyle or Tommy, Tommy Thompson. You Governors are elected. They are not kings. Uh, they have limitations on what they can do. So the governor, in trying to extend the mask mandate, my opinion, is, is wrong because he doesn't have the authority to do it. Now, having said that, as I've also argued before, the, 
I, I don't have a problem with the mask mandates. I think the legislature should have come up with its own variation of it, something not as restrictive, perhaps, as, as the governor's, something perhaps that gave local authorities more of an ability to opt out. And my guess is they're going to do something like that to keep the health emergency in place but make the, the mask mandate a little bit less dr- draconian because, you know, I, to, to do away with the mask mandate right now, especially if it's going to cost $50 million in federal assistance, would, would be would be silly. So they're wrestling the, with this. But this is one of these situations where, again, everybody is right and, and everybody is wrong. If the governor wants a mask mandate in order to get the financial assistance or to make people safer, that's fine. But he's got to do it the right way. And that means the legislature has to act. And if the legislature doesn't act, well, okay, then, then the governor loses that authority. It's kind of a mess. I hope they can get it all straightened out, and I hope they can get it straightened out soon, because if we keep debating this, pretty soon everybody's going to be vaccinated and we're going to have a way out of this pandemic. Okay, when we come back, are you ready to give up your internal combustion car? The CLU is unhappy, and, of course, Pop Culture Corner. Stick around. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. I really appreciate you spending your Friday afternoon with me. We do not go gently into the good weekend, or in this case, um, <laughs> the snowy weekend. I was, as I was saying earlier in the show, though, I, I, I am somebody who just, especially as I get older, just, just absolutely hates winter. But And, and it's going to be nasty this, this weekend. But my, my only good thing my good positive vibe is we're going to get a bunch of snow and it's going to be a little bit messy we're already essentially through january and we haven't had too many major snowstorms and we really haven't had the vicious cold that historically follows that and in this particular case i always look at the 10-day forecast and like i say 10 days from now takes us you know out you know well starting to get well into february and and there's no big massive cold streaks that are coming down you know i mean the temperature for the next 10 days they say it's going to be in the the highs will be in the 20s and the 30s and things like that so it it's not going to be that 20 degree below zero weather although we're and we could still get it i mean look i i understand i mean first week second week third week in february the potential for like really cold weather but the closer you get to march the less likely that if you get that really cold weather that it's going to hang around for a long time so Every day is a day closer to spring. All right. My question to you is, will this happen? A story came out, I think it was yesterday. General Motors announced that by 2035, which is 14 years from now, they will no longer be selling petroleum-powered cars and trucks. And they will sell only vehicles that have zero tailpipe emissions by 2035. So, in other words, the internal combustion engine, you know, those engines that run on gasoline that power the vast majority of the cars that we buy and drive, GM says we're phasing those out over the course of the next 14 years. Now, this, of course, is big news in the auto industry because, you know, the between Cars and parts makers, they employ about 1 million people in the United States, more than any other manufacturing sector. Um, the oil, gas sector, the, these are all huge sectors of the economy because, you know, the oil and gas industry depends in large part on, you know, people driving automobiles and things like that. On top of that, 
the the electric car market has been very slow to take off in, in the U.S. Um, electric cars right now make up about three percent of total global sales. You know, three percent in the United States in particular. They're very much niche products, and the the cars are bought primarily, not exclusively, but they're bought primarily by wealthy people who are, are drawn to things like Teslas and who have 60000 or 80000 or $120,000 that they can drop on, on a car. So that's, you know, and, and Tesla, for example, is what dominates the electric car business here. Now, General Motors says, look, this is part of our broader plan to become carbon neutral by 2040. So that, that's their plan. That's what they say. This is what our goal is. We're going to work towards it, and that's what the headline is. Well, we're only going to sell. We're only going to sell no more internal combustion cars. It's going to be all electric cars by the time um, twenty thirty five rolls around. Our number eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I don't believe it. Now, by that I mean, I, I believe they said it. I believe that whoever is in charge of General Motors now might have set that as the goal, and they might have gotten the headline. But I do not believe that within the next 14 years, we are going to see the demise of the internal combustion engine. And General Motors, being in a competitive business, selling cars with all the different um, other car companies throughout there, I think if they make the decision that, hey, we're getting out of we're getting out of the the fuel injected car the the uh, fuel based cars. If they do that, I, I think it's going to be economically disastrous. Which is why they can say it, but I don't think it's going to happen because I don't think within the next 14 years people are going to be willing to give up their gasoline powered cars, especially especially given the fact that gasoline is incredibly plentiful. The world is awash with, with oil. And, and you have all these different technologies which can extract oil cheaply. Will more people perhaps be driving electric cars as they figure out some of the, the deals that go on with that, as you figure out, okay, we're, we've got better battery powers and things like that? Well, yeah, I, I, I can see electric cars having a larger portion of the market in the next decade or so, but it's still got a long way to go. And as long as gas remains relatively cheap, which I think it will, I don't believe people are going to be willing to get out of their gasoline-powered cars. 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, are, are we going to see the end of SUVs, automobiles, and small trucks powered by gasoline? Is that going to really happen in the next 10 years? I don't buy it. 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Maybe if you could get to a situation where you can develop the technology for these battery-powered cars so the cost comes down to such a point that operating becomes the equivalent of of the gasoline-powered engine, and you're able to, again, do the the stuff with the battery so that you can get enough enough time on the, you can drive enough, so if you want to drive from here to Florida, you don't have to stop and and recharge every two hours. 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. My general sense is it's fine for General Motors to talk about this, and maybe it's all well-intended. I don't think it's going to happen. What do you think? We discuss in just a moment. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 
855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, General Motors announced yesterday or two days ago their plan is to sell only zero-emission vehicles by 2035, which is only 14 years from now. In other words, no more gasoline-powered cars, no more gasoline-powered SUVs, no more um, gasoline-powered pickup trucks. And it's fine for them to say it. But if you live in the real world, I just do not see it happening. Electric cars are still a niche. Will they be more of a? Will there be more widespread in 14 years? Okay, I'll accept that. But um, if General Motors thinks they're going to be out of the business of making internal combustion engine cars, I think General Motors is going to be out of business. Let's start with Bill in West Bend. Bill, you're first. Uh, Hi, Bill. A couple things. Let's say, let's say you hop in your car and you want to go down to South Carolina and go golfing for a couple days or whatever it is, and you can get there maybe in a day or a half a day, whatever it is. You know, you've got to stop somewhere. So they're going to have to build all these charging stations. Then, yep. you know, so every hotel is going to have to have them. Then on top of that is, you know, let's say uh, even if you go ahead and go ahead with this and there's all sorts of these electric cars running around, you're still, I mean, the pressure is going to put on the electric grid. So they're going to have to build yep. more power plants. You're going to burn more coal. You're going to burn more natural gas. So if it's for a green reason, it isn't going to help. You're still going to be burning some kind of energy to keep these things moving. So I, I, it, it, it's just another feel-good liberal situation, and that's my opinion. Well, no, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. Well, you know, you, you raise a couple real interesting points. It, it's, it, it's, you know, is, is there a net gain? It's like we were talking about a couple of days ago with the Keystone Pipeline, which is the pipeline that Biden just killed that would run, uh, bring, bring crude oil from uh, Canada through the Midwest and, and then ultimately take it down to, to the Gulf Coast where it gets processed. Well, so the, the Biden plan, well, we're, we're going to kill this pipeline, even though it's 95% built, and we're going to do it in the name of climate change. Well, it's not like Canada is going to stop producing the oil, but instead of sending it down the pipeline, what they're going to do is they're going to put it in the tanker trucks and they're going to put it in the rail cars, which, by the way, so they're still, they're still using all the energy to do the drilling, and if you want to look at environmental impact, CO2 emissions, all that, plus the dangers of spills, it's much greater having, you know, tanker trucks, you know, on the roadways and to have, um, I mean, these rail cars. I mean, that's that's kind of what the reality is. It's this feel-good sort of stuff. Now, you know, the, you were making a really interesting point, too, about about the long drives. My, okay, my, my wife just drove down to Florida a couple of weeks ago, and, you know, you, you have X number of miles you want to get. You know, you, you want to get 600, 800 miles a day, whatever it is. So, all right, you're, you're driving your internal combustion car. You run low on gas. You pull into the gas station. You fill it up. Go to the bathroom. Go in, get a soda. Come back out. You're back out on the road again. All right, well, first of all, we have to have the charging stations, but then how long is it going to take to, to charge the, the car? Is it going to be, well, okay, I can get 300 miles on a charge, but then it's going to take six hours to charge the car if I find it. Well, okay, that's that might be fine for trips locally. I mean, if, if you've got an electric car and you can afford it and you want to drive in the immediate area and you're not going to drive more than 50 miles or 75 miles, that's fine. But but how does it work in the real world at a practical level? Again, I don't see this happening unless 
gasoline prices do something that nobody thinks they're going to do, which is go through the roof. Because at some point in time, again, if gas prices get up to seven, eight, nine dollars a gallon, well, then you know, buying the batteries and putting up with all this stuff, that cost is going to go down. And at some point in time, it's going to be more economically efficient to buy the electric car. I just don't see that happening. Certainly not in the next ten years. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. John in New Berlin. John, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, good, good afternoon. Well, your first caller kind of stole my thunder a little bit, but uh, <clears throat> yeah, he's right on. You're going to stress the grid, um, <clears throat> and then the installation cost for like a typical charger with the wiring is probably around the two thousand dollar range. And then, right. if, let's say you have a two car family and you have two cars that are being charged. Your electrical service in your house might not even be adequate to do that, along with your other utility that's connected to it. Mm-hmm. So it, it's going to be very interesting. Be great for electrical contractor business, but who knows where this can go? Well, right. No, th- thanks for calling. Again, I'm getting, I, and I understand. Thanks for calling. Appreciate it. I, I, I'm getting angry texts from people who are the big electric car lovers, and and, and that's. That's fine. If you want to go out and you want to buy an electric car, go with God. I have no issue with that. I am just saying I do not think this country is going to be ready within the next 14 years to do away with the internal combustion engine. I just don't think that's practical. If, if you want to go out and you want to, and you, you got 80,000 bucks to dry, drop on a Tesla, Tesla, that, that's fine. I, I, that, that's great. And, and there are reasons why. And here's somebody saying, well, you know, here, here's the deal. Most people would only need to charge it once or twice a week. 300 mile range covers most commutes. Okay, it, it does. But what about, those occasions where you want to take the drive. Hey, um, my brother-in-law just uh, who who lives in, I don't know, who lives in Omaha. Well, one of his relatives just passed away, and, and we need to go out. And we need to suddenly go to the funeral. Oh, it's 650 miles. Well, I can get 300 miles on a charge. Well, how long is it going to take to recharge the car? How am I going to find it? I, I'm just saying that there's all these reasons that are out there, and I, I understand. I have a, I have a couple friends. One very, very good friend who has one of these high-end Teslas, and he just absolutely loves it. And it's a cool car to spin around town in. And every once in a while, I get to ride in it. And, and it's a cool car to spin around town in. And he's got this little charging station in the in the garage where he keeps it so it's it's not a big deal he's not driving it for example from i don't know florida to milwaukee he, he uses it to spin around town and it's great but it's not the type of vehicle right now that you would take on a long drive maybe sometime in the future but i don't I just I don't see it in 14 years, and I don't see it happening until oil prices really skyrocket. Terrence and Brown Deer. Terrence, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. How you doing? I, 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 I can almost guarantee I know exactly what they're going to do. They're going to go through a uh, major ad campaign to make electric cars trendy. I mean, they, it's just like anything else. When they want to get something done, they start advertising about it. So what they're going to mm-hmm. do, they're going to start starting out now, telling people, that, hey, we're going to electric cars. But they're going to make people want to give, give away their combustion engines by uh, government coming up with uh, incentive programs every year, not just one year, every year, to turn in your car. Just like you have a gun buyback, you're going to have a right. gasoline engine buyback incentive every year for anybody that has a, 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 a gas guzzling car so that they can get an electric car. Yeah. That's you what know what I, I was, I was, 
Well, you know, it's interesting. I was listening to you talk, Terrence. I, I was just thinking, remember last summer in California, they, they, the, the electric grid can't take care of, of everything they have now. Remember, we had all these rolling blackouts and brownouts where they just didn't have enough power because you had some of the wildfires and things like that. I, I'm thinking, you know, our electric grid right now just can't support. If, if everybody would drive a, a, these electric cars, what are you going to do? You live in California. You, know, you, can't, you can't even charge the thing, you know, a month out of 12. Exactly. Yeah, thanks for, no, thanks for calling. I appreciate it. I'm sure there's, well, that, that, I'm sure there's going to be some incentives like that. But and, and somebody was just texting me. He said, "Well, Jeff, I understand what you're saying about the technologies, but you know, they're, they're in the next year or so, they're going to have these new technologies that that allow you to go 13 or 1500 miles on a battery on a single charge." Well, okay, if if that becomes widespread, and you can get that technology, and you can get it at, at a a reasonable price, all right, that, that will induce more people to, to make the, that switch. All I'm saying is that, you know, the, the next decade, that's that's going to come in a, in a New York minute. It, it just is. And this idea that, okay, people, and if GM wants to sell nothing but electric cars, that's fine. That's what they can do. I'm just saying from a business perspective, I think that that would be disastrous and i don't think it's going to happen you can throw it out as a goal that's great and i'm sure the biden administration who's all you know in on the climate stuff you know they, they they'll love it hey gm's going to be great but you know will it really happen i'm not going to hold my breath this is jeff wagner wtmj